Who is the best leader in sports? Who is the best leader in soccer? Many have said that the great Manchester United manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, was the best of the lot. Today on The Bear and the Bull, Phil Dark, podcast supremo himself, describes how soccer explains leadership. If you have a desire to lead young men and women, this is the episode for you. Coming up, how soccer explains leadership on The Bear and the Bull. I am Nick Webby, the Vice President of Adults for Cal South, and today on The Bear and the Ball, I am delighted to introduce Phil Dark. He's a husband, dad, author. He's even got his own podcast. He's the president of Providence World, a recovering attorney, a connector, a catalyst, collaborator, coach, and worst of all, he's a Manchester United supporter. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go and have a shower immediately. Phil? <laughs> Welcome to the Bear and the Ball, and obviously, I know in a couple of hours, you, uh, your, your, your boys are playing uh, Aston Villa in the FA Cup. They are. They are. Hopefully, they'll play a little bit better than they have been recently, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, this podcast today is going to be all about explaining how soccer and leadership come together, and so I'm going to take Manchester United as my reference point. You've got a new manager, Ralph Rangnick. He's German. He hasn't won a great deal in his managerial career, but he's been a catalyst for many different clubs and for a, a, a thought of how to play the game of soccer. Rate his leadership right now after two months in the job. Well, it's interesting because it's hard to see in the locker room, right? I mean, we all we get is the media take, which with United it's all over the map, right? I mean, you get people saying stuff and then you hear the players saying, well, you you need to talk to us because we're that's actually not happening in the locker room and so you go from you know the the past since Ferguson basically you have completely different managers coming in right side with Moyes he's supposedly a players manager he comes in helps out works with the players well then Van Van Gaal who comes in and he's he's just the the taskmaster he's going to do stuff and make it happen none of it seems to be working. You know, you bring in Mourinho, who's, you know, the world, supposedly world-class, the self-proclaimed special one, who tends to implode teams after a couple years in the locker room and the, and the people side, it, it's, it seems to be lacking. Now, again, we don't see inside that locker room, but uh, Ole comes in and he's, he's getting the culture back, supposedly, from what, from what I've heard from talking to different people to the what it was back in the day to get it back more the culture of we're going to build from the youth we're going to do all these other things and then you see the culture actually it seems to be shifting the player seems to be happier the player seems to be liking each other it seems to be a much more cohesive culture in the team that I hadn't seen really since Ferguson but then it hits a it hits that stall because I think that the the soccer or the football side of it right the, the tactics that's just lacking in there so you, the, the culture only goes so far you got to have a both and and then Randick comes in and I think he's trying to in my in my opinion what I'm seeing to come in and just go all right we're going to do the 4222 
immediately. We're just, you got to get there. You got to get your fitness up. You got to get, and completely just trying to say, okay, we're just going to do a 180 on this right now. And, and he's losing players. It seems like that they don't seem like they're, they're gelling at all on the field, which, you know, and, and then you see the body language, you see some of the, some of the bickering amongst each other. You see Ronaldo just yelling and almost, it seems like he's given up in some of the games. Now, who knows what's going on there, but I do it. I do take a lot. I put a lot of that on the manager and, and on Rennick. And and I don't know him from Adam. Obviously, I mean, there's very little. He doesn't talk a whole lot. Um, the press conferences, listening to them, I'm, you know, he seems like a good guy. He seems like he's really trying. He's I mean, obviously a tactician. He's a master tactician, according to a lot of people. Um, and you know, this formation could work, but I don't know. I mean. It's hard for me because as I've talked to several people about it with United in the last few the last few years, everyone says, what do you think it is? You know, everyone's got their theory. Mine is, it seems a pretty simple one, actually. They haven't had a solid holding midfielder, number six, since Carrick. And without that, your team doesn't, it just, it's that's the glue, really. Without that, you're, so many things fall apart. So, anyway, I think that any manager after Ferguson has really had a massive uphill battle. I mean, you got you take the best manager probably ever, and then you have to take the the limelight, you know, of Manchester United, where literally everything you do is under a microscope, and you can't, you know, really you can't win. Uh, in in my opinion, and then they aren't winning <laughs> on top of it. So even if they were, if you're if they came in a close second like Mourinho did, that's not enough. If you're not winning the FA Cup, if you're not winning the trouble, then people are going to get on you. So that's it's a huge issue. That's I actually really appreciated what what Solskjaer did because he did from the people side, from the one on one meetings that he would have with the players to really get into their mindset and to where they're at individually from what I read obviously I wasn't there but I saw Pogba smiling on the field which that says a lot because he hadn't done that in years so I don't know I mean there's a lot to it I think um but we tend to judge managers without knowing we, we get probably 10 percent of what's actually going on and I think that's really unfair um and you can't just take whether teams winning or losing to say whether it's a healthy culture um so Phil You've given me so much to unpack. I said this podcast would be 35 minutes. I need about 35 hours. <laughs> um, you, you, so, so many great points you bring up. And, and, and the one that I want to hone in on is this leadership component that you speak about and losing players. And if we look at the lineage since SAF, uh, I'm I'm no United fan, but without a doubt, the greatest manager of any sports. Um, every manager who's been at United since then has lost the team. You're a coach yourself. You coach girls at high school. I've coached. I'm you know I'm currently the coach at UCSB. I've coached girls at high school as well and in club. And I've had those moments where I've stepped into the locker room and I know that I'm losing the team. On this particular podcast, we have many coaches that listen in and they want those golden nuggets about how they can 
make their teams better. And we're always looking at, at the positive. But how about looking at uh, the other side of the coin when you are losing a team? What tools, techniques, strategies do you use when you feel like, oh, my team is getting away from me. I need to get them back. Well, I, it's it, it's so hard because I think when you're getting to that point that you're losing the team, sometimes it's too late. Um, I would say the first thing that we always need to look at is ourselves. Are we healthy ourselves? To know ourselves, it's why you know we have. I'm launching a coaching program for for soccer coaches uh, next month. Actually, the first thing, the first six modules are self leadership, and that is absolutely on purpose it's absolutely something that we tend to skip to the other too often in our leadership and we're actually the unhealthy ones oftentimes we have stuff going on in our life we have stresses we have the, the stress of keeping a job the stress of our family the stress of the different things in our in, maybe we're sick maybe someone in our family's sick all these different things that we've seen and, and add covid and all this lockdowns and all this stuff to the mix it's it's so hard right now for us to stay healthy in our in ourselves in our own leadership so i think that's the first thing is to say okay how are we wired and are we healthy and how are we coming across how are we perceived by our players because if they're perceiving us as just a taskmaster dictatorial jerk then we're not going to we're not going to get through to them and it's they're going to they're going to put everything through that filter and they're going to interpret everything that we do, even if it's the most loving thing ever possible, they're going to interpret that as, okay, what's he trying to get? What's his angle? What's going on there? So there is there is that first side of who are we as a leader? How are, are we healthy? How are we wired? How are we? What's our goal? What's our vision? How are we perceived? All of those are critical to leadership to leadership and, and being able to not lose your locker room. So there's that side of it. The other side of it is studying each of our players individually because, yes, it's a team, but it's made up of a bunch of different players. So how intentional are we in studying our individual players and what do each of them need in any given moment? How are they wired? Our, you know, we, we use the DISC uh, personality uh, assessments, and if it's an S personality, they're wired in such a way that they need appreciation. They need more reassurance. They need more of that. It doesn't mean they're soft. It just means they're wired very differently. And most or a lot of coaches, and I'd say most of the higher level coaches are very D dominant personality styles that often clash with those S's. And they come in when they need the reassurance and the, and the, and the um, appreciation. D's aren't necessarily good at giving that. It's not natural to them. So they need to learn that other side of themselves, which, which again, in the mix, in the cauldron of this, I'm losing the team, usually coaches get more unhealthy, not less unhealthy, right? They, they, they get more into their unhealth, which then goes to their default anger for a D or a critical, hypercritical for a C, and that actually exacerbates the problem. So it's, actually, it's somewhat counterintuitive in that, not even counterintuitive, it's just really hard. To say as a coach, okay, how am I coming across? Am I actually giving these players what they need in this moment? Because chances are in the midst of a, a locker room that's not healthy and a, and a culture that's toxic, you're going to have the most players be unhealthy in and of themselves. So you as the coach, as the manager, 
need to get above the fray and say, okay, I need to get myself healthy first so that I can come into the mix and help everyone on this team be healthy. Because if everyone on the team is healthy and who they are and how they're wired, you're actually going to have an incredibly, um, you, you can turn around that locker room very quickly if you get each of them healthy because then it will fit together like a glove and each of the healthy personalities will complement each other. But too often we just, we kind of double down on the hard intensity. We just got to get out there and work harder. We just got to get out there and do more. We just got to get out there and push through this wall of toxicity, of unhealth, of losing, whatever it is. And that's not going to work. You have to take it, take it back, slow it down and go, you know, and that's why, again, going back to. Um, some you know some of these other managers. I'll take Solskjaer for example. There were patches where it was not win. They weren't winning, but if you talk, it seemed like the players were actually very healthy. Because sometimes it takes that slower time where you it takes a time where you need to say, okay, we got to just take a time to focus on ourselves. And this sounds like pop psychology and whatever, but the reality is if you're not healthy as a team, it will implode. It will break down at some point. You will not want to. You look at Ted Lasso, perfect example, right? You have, I assume you've watched Ted Lasso. seems like everyone in the soccer world has for good reasons. It's a great show. But if you remember the scene at the bar with, with Roy Kent and Jamie Tart, and when they're, when Roy, they finally get together and actually talk and, and Roy says to Jamie, he says, Part of the thing is, when I look at you, I do not want to pass to you because I hate you. I mean, that's a paraphrase. But that's that goes on in teams. And if we can't get them to actually understand each other, it's going to be really hard for, him to get, for us to get them to like each other and actually want to play together. There's this thing called the rapport ladder. Task-focused people, they need to like you or they need to trust you before they like you. But people-focused people need to like you before they trust you. So you need to know who you're dealing with before you can actually understand how to engage and how to get someone to really want to work with you and want to play with you. And if we can't get that for our teams, we're going to lose not only locker room, but we're not going to have teams playing together. Well, soccer is the ultimate team sport, in my opinion. And if we're using United as our model, we look at Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, perhaps the greatest motivator and really understood people and didn't actually do that much coaching. He left that to, to his assistants. Then we look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who seemingly had a, you know, lazy, fair approach to his players. Uh, Van Gaal and Mourinho, more of that dominant A-type personality. But when we look at a team as a whole, Many players, and I've been in this group myself, kind of want to be treated equally. And, and yet within this team sport and within this culture of different personalities, you can't treat everybody the same. And so there's always going to be this yin and yang pull and push of, well, he's getting this kind of treatment, but I'm getting this kind of treatment. What gives? So as a coach in that situation... How do you go into that locker room and explain that everybody's different? And, and there's a great story that I want to bring up, actually, um, and you, you may have even heard of this one. Eric Cantona, when he got sent off at Crystal Palace, the big kung fu kick on uh, Matthew Simmons back in, 
oh god in the in the 90s now and uh united that day played particularly poorly and the story is this fergie went into the dressing room obviously it's very quiet and they're just expecting him to go after Cantona like nobody's business but instead he's absolutely hammered gary neville just slaughtered him and then he's gone to roy king absolutely slaughtered him and he's looked at Cantona and gone hey eric you can't do that again <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the, i mean and supposedly every juror in the dressing room just went ah oh? because Cantona was the special player he was the straw that stirs the cocktail and and ferguson knew that he had to treat him differently and yet the players kind of understood but it was none spoken understanding and i don't think that works anymore in this culture where everybody needs to know exactly why you're doing what you're doing yeah you know it's interesting it's i have five kids in in parenting it's just, it's very similar right i mean i i like in parenting to coaching and i like it to leadership all the time because you have a different you know i love all my kids as much as a dad can love a kid but I treat them very differently for a good reason. And some, I can just look at them and they'll go, I'm sorry, dad. I, 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 I wish, I, I, I know I blew it. Another one, I, I could look at them all day and I could tell them all the reasons why they're, they had issues and they're still going to just look at me and go, I, I still don't get it. I don't understand how I got, I was, I was wrong or I did anything wrong. And, and that's our players too. That's these different and that's the thing I believe about, well, I know about it because I've read his autobiographies and I've read his different leadership books. Ferguson studied his players. As he said in his book, he realized he became a great manager when he realized he couldn't be a, both a trainer and a manager at the same time because he couldn't listen like he needed to. He couldn't study like he needed to. He couldn't go into the locker room. And going back to Canada, the reason why they got him is because his players were talking about it and he and he said, who is this guy you're talking about? Oh, Canada. Okay. Because he was listening. He was studying. He was understanding. And he knew that with Kenton. Not only was he a special player, but he knew that he could just say to him, you can't do that again. Come on. And he's still going to get the best out of him. With these other guys, he needs to, to rail into him. He needs to go in. He needs to go in harder to them, some of them. But I look at a guy like Luke Shaw. I, I don't know him. I mean, I've talked with him. I've had a conversation with him. But but he's a guy who is, I believe, very likely more of, more of that reserved player or personality style. So when Mourinho is railing into him, railing into him, railing into him all the time, talking about him at press conferences, saying that he needs to do this and needs to do that, he was shutting down. He was withdrawing. Whereas Solskjaer, I think, probably met with him more one-on-one, -on -one, probably stroked him a little bit more than he needed, and he got way more out of him. He became one of the best left-backs around, right? And so I believe that as coaches, again, we need to study and be very intentional in knowing how we need to and – Telling our players the why behind the what. If somebody has a question about it, to say, look, you need to trust me. If you don't trust me, then this probably isn't the right place for you. If you trust me, you need to understand that I'm going to treat different people different ways because I'm studying you. And if you think that I'm misinterpreting you and I misunderstand you, then please come talk to me and help me understand you. But as I'm studying you, I, I really believe this is how I can best engage with you, that I can best get the best out of you because my job is to help you flourish at the at the greatest level our job as coaches is to cultivate an environment where everyone 
in our, well, create and cultivate an environment where everyone in our, under our leadership can flourish at their highest levels, right? So that's good, but it's going to look different for each person. And it'll look similar for some, but we need to understand that and we need to, tr we need to gain and earn that respect, earn the conversations, earn the trust of our players so that when we do tell them that I'm going to treat different players differently because I know you and I understand you and I know how I can get the best out of you, they will trust that. They will know that. They will believe that. Now, once you've lost that locker room, it's too late, right? You can't, you can't just earn that trust. To earn trust is really a hard thing. It's what I tell my kids again. Don't break my trust because when you break my trust, it's really hard to earn it back. But if you keep my trust, then then we can then we can do this. Let's let's go, right? And I think the same goes for our locker rooms, the same goes for our teams, the same goes for our players. And when we get that trust built and we are able to do that and we have that vulnerability that that vulnerability trust that I think Patrick Lencioni, I don't know if he coined the term, but he's the one who's kind of made it famous. When we build that vulnerability trust, we are able to keep each other accountable. We are able to do the different things that can get the results, right? But if we don't have that, then everything else falls on that. Yeah, you know, I firmly believe in that trust and belief component and they are the drivers of creating a magnificent team or creating a great team, creating that great culture. When you're a new soccer coach going into that kind of situation where you have to build trust and belief, but you don't really understand or know the sport, sometimes as well as your players, because this is what I'm seeing right now is that kids today are watching the game. They're becoming students of the game, but coaches who are coming new into the game, yes, they may have great leadership qualities, but they don't have the, the soccer component. And in our conversation so far, we've really spoken about how important leadership is, how important developing that culture and that message is, but if you don't know the sport, can you still drive the team forward and still gain the respect and trust of the players? Well, I mean, it's obviously a show and there's not, there's a lot of obviously drama to it, but, but Ted Lasso is a good example. I think the answer is yes, if you have the trainers and the people you've surrounded yourself who are have the competence side of it because you need to have the care you need to have to build the trust you can build the trust with people that you care about them that you love them that you actually want their the best for them even if you're not as competent in that trade as they are but you need somebody who has that expertise has that competence that you've surrounded yourself with it's like any great leader the president of the united states doesn't have the competence to to know how to go into battle but they need to surround themselves with a general who does. And so you look at Abe Lincoln, the, probably the, one of the best leaders we've the country has ever known. He surrounded the team of rivals book is a perfect example. He surrounded himself with people who he know were smarter and better than him in all these areas that he needed to do. So I think you can gain the respect and trust of your players by surrounding yourself with those people who are smarter than you, who are better than you, and you're confident enough to know that. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, if I'm the smartest person in the room as a leader, I'm probably not doing a great job as a leader because I'm not surrounding myself with people better than me in areas – because we can't be experts in everything. We can't. But if we don't know it – I mean you gotta, you got to obviously have a threshold understanding of the game and, and to be able to know. I mean that's why Ted Lasso is kind of 
a bit ridiculous is that he doesn't know really anything about it, you know. But <clears throat> if you don't like, I'm not. I played soccer. I played through. I went to college to play. I stopped playing in college. I've been coaching for years. I played. I I watch the game. I'm a student of the game. I've always been a student of the game. But there, like you said, there's players who probably. I mean, they know a whole lot more about all the moves and all this. The the that can guarantee they can juggle more than I can. I guarantee that you know that that they can do things with a ball that I'll never be able to do. I joke that my move is to kick the ball past the guy and try to beat him, and. And that worked when we were, that's what we did a lot of the time, right? We didn't have the, the Christ and the Maradonas and all these different things that they're doing. But when they see that I actually care about them as human beings and I want them to flourish and that I actually grow to love them and that I'm really trying and seeking their trust and I am seeking to understand them, that goes so far with them. And then they know that, look, I'm, I know enough, but this guy here, he knows more than me. And he's the one, you know, he, I'm going to task him to do the practice plans. I'm going to task him to be able to do all the training and to be able to get you to that next level. I'm going to bring in somebody on the mental health component to make sure that you're going to be able to, to, uh, know about resilience and know about resetting and know about retraining your brain. I'm going to bring someone in on the sports science side to make sure that you're recovering your rest and you're doing all that to the best of your ability. I know enough about everything to know what I don't know and know who I need to bring in. Going back to the, the recovering attorney, it's kind of a joke. I was a lawyer for eight years and, and I, I, I joke about that. But as a lawyer, the one thing that I learned I learned a lot. But one of the main things that I learned as a leader is if I didn't know something, I didn't try to figure it out all the time. I figured out enough to know what expert witness I needed to get. And then I'm going to go get that expert witness and have them be able to teach me what I need to know. But then I don't need to know everything. They need, I need to know that they know everything. And that's the importance, I think, of leadership and of coaching as well is we need to know what we know, know what we don't know, <clears throat> know who we need to get and make sure we get the best people we can get in those areas that we're weaker in. So the answer, I believe, is yes, you can coach a team if you don't know as much as them. Hopefully your players know more than you, and hopefully they're way better than you ever were. Um, and to have the confidence in who you are and to really believe, you know, I joke believe with Ted Lasso and everything, but to believe in what you know and that what you know is enough. And if it's not, then you're the wrong person for it. But to know that, that you need other people to compliment you as a striker needs a team around him or her to be able to be a great striker, right? You, you know, Messi wouldn't be great without a team around him. And he was a whole lot – I mean, he's a great, incredible player, but he was way better when Javi and Anesta were in that center midfield. Anybody would be, right? And so there's, there's a lot to that. And a great manager, you're, you're not going to be – a great manager without a great coaching staff around you and people that people don't even know their names outside of United. I don't know that people even know the names of the coaching staff of the people. And the only reason they know it now is because they're getting let go and they brought in an American to help out. So, you know, that's, that's something that I think is a, is a really good and necessary leadership lesson. Cause I think too often leaders try to do way too much and try to get every certification and every continuing education in the book rather than getting somebody else who can come in and actually help them 
not only with the information, but with a different personality style too to help with certain players. Because you can't you can't mentor every player on that team. You need people that that can help you with that as well. Well, in the professional and collegiate world, obviously we have the resources to to bring in these people. However, in a, in your environment as as a you know working in a high school, it's just you. What's more important, leadership or X's and O's? I think from a from a if I'm going to hire someone, I'm going to hire character. I'm going to hire leadership. I'm going to hire that. And I'm talking about you as 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 a coach. What's more important? It's just you, and you're surrounded. You have you have yeah. your program. You've got thirty kids. It's just you. What's more important, leadership or X's and O's? Well, the high, I mean, the high school level specifically, I think leadership for sure. Explain. Um, because you can learn the X's and O's. You can you can learn that. You can get training. You can get you can you can go to you know whether it's YouTube. You can go get a certification. You can go get these different things to understand how to how to run a formation, how to do different things. The, most of these players are coming to you with some sort of background and training. And so you need to, you need to learn. Yes. I mean, obviously whether it's leadership or the, um, whether it's leadership or whether it's X's and O's, you need to learn something. If you don't know the other, you need to learn it. But when it comes to character, when it comes to leadership, I think that takes a lot more time to understand and lead and, and what that looks like and how you can actually study players, how you can actually know your people, how you can actually get the best out of them. I believe that's harder to learn than the X's and O's. And I think that that X's and O's sometimes, and this doesn't happen all the time, but I think sometimes we overthink it too. And we do too much. And these, these, these girls and boys at the high school level, they're not going to grasp everything that we're throwing at them anyway. I was talking with actually a coach the other day about it. And he was saying, I, I, I I'm, I'm at my, and the reason I say this is because I've seen us lose our players because we're too focused on X's and O's and we're not focused enough on the people. And, and they, they say, why would I do this? I don't want to play. Um, I'm going to burn out. And you're seeing burnout at higher levels than ever. We didn't have as many kids burning out in, when we were kids. And I think because a lot of it was parents coaching and they didn't know the X's and O's and they cared about the kids. So the kids kept playing. They weren't necessarily as good, but they kept playing and they loved it. They didn't burn out on it. They weren't. They weren't saying, "Forget it, I'm done." Um, and you, I think we're losing a lot of great players because we're focusing too much on the training and the and the every day doing whatever. And and I'm not saying that's not important. It is important for the best of the best. But we're losing a lot of players that I think could become best of the best if we just were. It's not coddling, understanding, and letting them just play for a while. So. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I talked with this coach the other day and, and he was saying, I only get six girls out of my high school practice. And I'm going, what, what do you, what do you, are you, are you having fun? Are you enjoying it? Like what? And he goes, well, I'm just trying to get them to understand, you know, the diamond shape and the, the different things and the different formations that I really want to get them to understand. So we get out to practice and I got all my cones set up and I got all this practice going and, and I only get six girls to show up. So I can't even do what I want to do. And I'm just going you know, I don't even know where to begin. Like you need to, you need to, how much are you actually studying them? I mean, to, on the contrary, on, on our team this year, some people say you guys are nutso, but, 
the first week of practice, we practiced three days. The fourth day, they went to a restaurant and hung out as a team and just said, hey, and we didn't go as coaches. We said, you guys go, have fun, get to know each other. And the fifth day, we said, just take it off because it was right before Thanksgiving and enjoy Thanksgiving break. And, and again, we could have done a lot of tactics. We could have done a lot of other things during that time. And maybe, you know, some people say maybe you should have. But our results are pretty good right now. I mean, we're top, you know, in the, in the, in this, in the league. And we have lost one game during finals week that, again, the girls were, we said, come. A couple of the girls, we said, you can leave at halftime because you're stressing out about your, your exams. And some coaches say, no, you have to stay the whole time. You have to do this. And, and I'm not going to say I'm right and they're wrong. I just, I, I think you have to pick what are, what is your goal? What is your, what are you actually trying to get out of them? Are you trying to get out them to be able to run the three, five, two perfectly? Or are you trying to build greater human beings who can actually use this sport? Some of them will go on to be great. Others will, the vast majority of them are going to use this sport as we're talking about here. How can we be better in life and in our leadership using this amazing game that's also a lot of fun? And I want to get, I want to make sure these girls that I'm coaching want to play this game when they're 45 and 50. You know, whether they can or not, it's a different story because I struggle to get out there and play because I hurt all the time after it. But I want to. I love the game. I love watching it still. I love playing it. I love coaching it. And how can we build that in these players? Because soccer, elite soccer, will end at some point for everyone, playing-wise. Let's rewind time on me to a time where I had hair and 60 pounds lighter. and (laughs) I'm beginning my coaching career. Put me on the path to becoming... A good coach. What is what is that path? What does it look like? What are the steps that I need to take to become? I'm, I'm not saying an an elite coach, but to becoming mm-hmm. the coach that you just described. What are the steps I need to take? Are there any courses that I need to take? Is there a degree that may shape me? Give me give me the give me the ideal pathway and of course everybody's slightly different but if, if there's if there's an ideal pathway for a young man or woman to become the best coach they can be what does that pathway look like what does it entail well I mean you're I don't know if you meant to do this but we I just finished well, I'm finishing up the drafting of coaching the bigger game program that is really about this it's it's uh, about 14 modules at this point, but yeah, I would say start with self-leadership. It's what we talked about at the beginning. It's coming full circle. It starts with starting with the end in mind. We, we will have the everybody in the course will write their own eulogy, and you start with the end in mind. It seems kind of morbid, but who do you want to be known as? Who do you want to be remembered as? Who, who are you? How are you wired? So to, to understand self, to create a life plan, to know your why, behind your what and know the purpose that you can always go back to and have that as a filter that you put everything through when you're when you're coaching your players to do the disc assessments to do strength finders to do things that you can understand yourself better with to go through training and understand how you're perceived because we can understand how we're wired but 
if we don't know how we're perceived by others, that's really that's super important in coaching because you're and how different people will perceive you because of how they're wired to understand that. But before you even get into the other, to know what are those characteristics. I mean, if you look at John Wooden, he was a guy who he didn't just become John Wooden in the pyramid of success. That was decades of practicing, right? But he knew who he was before he went into it. And if you don't know who you are going back to study yourself well enough, you know, and to know yourself and to know your strengths, to know your faults, to know your weaknesses, to know the things you need to work on, and then continually work on those things you need to work on and continually honing the strengths that you have, but you need to know them at first. Self-care is massive. Self-care is a huge part of it. If you're not doing the things, if you're not getting the rest and sleep and physical um, health and all those things, then you're not going to be able to thrive in anything that you do, and especially in leadership, because your physical health is related to your mental health. Your mental health is related to whether you're going to be healthy for your players. If you're not healthy for your players, you will lash out in ways that, um, or you withdraw, depending on how you're wired. You might just withdraw and say, I'm out of here. Forget it. You know, I can tell you my wife, when our kids were young, she'd just hop in the car and drive around for a half hour. She'd just disappear. And that, so some people, that's how they react to it. So if you don't know that about yourself, you'll compare yourself to another coach who might be wired completely differently from you. And you'll say, oh, well, when they're stressed, they just start yelling at everybody. Well, I don't yell at everybody, so therefore I'm not unhealthy. Well, it may be that you absolutely are. It just manifests differently. So to know yourself is, is a huge part of it. I can't, obviously can't get into all of it right now. But I would say if I were to, if I were to say to somebody, what is the, the, you know, how could I go back and do it? I'd say study yourself more than you probably already have to really understand yourself more. I don't know if there's one degree. I mean, obviously there's sports management, things like that. The problem with sports management, I think it focuses more on the other and not as much on the self. I know it does focus on self too, but I don't think we focus enough on our self-leadership um, to go into then what becomes the the coaching the individual. So I think we need to focus on coaching self and self-leadership. John Maxwell said the hardest person to lead is yourself. I agree with that oftentimes because we are blind. We have so many blind spots. So to understand our blind spots, to understand where the character things that, that we need as coaches, but then also coach the individual. What does that look like? Cause I think too often we skip from coaching self to coaching the team. Again, going to X's and O's, putting all the formations together, seeing where everyone fits in, going to having everyone on the board. But we, we skip the part of coaching the individual. And I think coaching the individual is something that it goes a lot similar to we basically coaching our individuals how to coach them and lead themselves, how to empower them. Um, but also we're mentoring them and directing them all at the same time. And so to be able to, to figure out how we can do the one-on-one coaching, mentoring, I talked about Soul Sky are doing those one-on-ones and why they're so important is to understand each player where they fit into the bigger team. So to be to understand and know how to study others, how to understand others, to use tools again like disc, like strength finders, um, for your players to be able to then know how to mentor one-on-one is critical. To then go to the team dance as we as we talk about and what does that look like in how we these different personality styles work together. I love Patrick Lencioni. I use the Advantage uh, book to to be able to create clarity 
to be able to communicate clarity and then to be able to reinforce clarity within teams. So there's no, there's no magic bullet. There's no like, this is the one thing you do. It's continually learning. Obviously, you hear that all the time. Leaders are learners. Absolutely agree with that. So I would say start by learning yourself. Start by studying yourself. Start by studying your players and understanding. Um, you know, I'm creating a tool. I obviously am a little biased by it. There's a great book called The Coaching Zone by John Yeager. I interviewed him on my podcast. I think that's a fantastic book to go to as well. I use a lot of that in the coaching program that we do. Um, but you got to want, you have to have a hunger for learning about yourself, learning about others, continually learning about your team. Because the reality is when you have one new person come on your team, the team changes and the culture changes. And you need to continually be having a, a focus on retaining the culture, assuming it's a healthy culture that you have, but also knowing that it's continually transforming as well. And if you're not continually learning with that, you're going to get caught two, three years down the road going, what happened to our culture because you haven't been watching it. And, um, so there's so much to it, obviously, but I, I would say the, the one is, is be learning and don't ignore yourself. Brilliant, brilliant stuff, Phil. How can my listeners get hold of you and find out more of what you're doing? Uh, how Soccer Explains Leadership.com is the podcast. I mean, How Soccer Explains Leadership is the podcast that I do. That's a great way. Phil at How Soccer Explains Leadership.com. And then if you're interested in the coaching program, coaching the bigger date, not date, coaching the bigger game.com. Uh, you can go ahead and you know sign up there, and we can get in touch with you about um, being a part of that too. Because we're going to be starting up our new cohort probably in February. I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, in February, and we'll have some introductory rates and all that good stuff. But go ahead and and uh, get signed up there, and love to connect with you, Phil at HowSoccerExplainsLeadership.com, and just we can hop on a call and love to love to connect with you. Phil Dark, dad of five, podcast host, president of Providence World, a recovering attorney, connector, catalyst, collaborator, and unfortunately, a fan of Manchester United. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. Really appreciate it. And can't wait to see what you come up with in the future in how soccer explains leadership. Thank you very much. Thank you. As always, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Nick Webster and follow Cal South on Twitter at Cal South Soccer, on Instagram also at Cal South Soccer, and then on Facebook. As always, the Bear and the Ball will be back next week, and uh, in a couple of weeks' time, actually, we'll be uh, recording live from the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City. So look forward to some really fascinating episodes with some of the movers and shakers of soccer in this great country. Until then, speak to you soon.